All right. So we come to uh, Jesus's interaction now uh, with a man who is full of leprosy. He is a, a person who has a great disease. And um, we come now to Jesus dealing with this particular instance, with this particular person. Remember, in the continuing narrative of the Gospel of Luke. Now, as we started off the gospel, uh, what we uh, said, well, I'll remind you here, is that uh, Luke decides that as he's going to um, pull these things together, he is writing uh, to pull together an, an orderly account. He's done all the research. He's done all the interviews. He's spoken to everybody. There's eyewitnesses and, um, in place, and he has uh, gotten this together, an orderly account um, so that there might be certainty uh, for the things that you've been taught. And so he's bringing this into view uh, so that we might have greater certainty about what we've been taught, that we might catch a glimpse of who Jesus is. We, we might catch a glimpse of his character, that we might understand uh, more um, thoroughly what Luke is revealing to us about Jesus. And he does this um, by systematically demonstrating that Jesus is greater than all of these uh, other instances that would that we would typically be afraid of, both naturally and supernaturally. Uh, we start off uh, with Jesus demonstrating his uh, mastery over Satan. In chapter four, there's the temptation of Jesus there as he faces Satan in the wilderness, uh, that he he comes against this supernatural force, and he has victory there uh, by standing firmly in the word of God, by citing the word of God, by holding fast uh, to his desire to obey the father. Uh, and then we find that he goes into his hometown and he faces uh, something that uh, would, for many of us, would even just be a natural fear, uh, namely that of just the rejection of our peers, the people who were around us there. We find that Jesus is in the synagogue and he's teaching and the people don't want to receive him. And he's rejected. He's thrown out of the synagogue. Uh, and then he goes into another synagogue and then he has another supernatural encounter where he faces off uh, against something that would be would strike fear in all of our hearts as we uh, would encounter this demonic force. Jesus uh, deals with this uh unclean spirit that has uh, overtaken this man, and he delivers the man safely and uh, demonstrates power and authority over this unclean spirit. And then immediately after that, Jesus demonstrates his power over the natural by uh, casting out and rebuking this fever, this high fever that was uh, in Peter's mother-in-law. He demonstrates his power over nature in that he uh, um, helps with the uh, the fishing excursion with uh, these first disciples. Um, and now, as we come to our text this morning, uh, we find that Jesus, again, demonstrates his power over sickness and disease, that he demonstrates uh, his uh, complete sovereignty over this situation. And uh, in, in a sense here, um, you know, this would be something that would be a little bit familiar to us in our day and age, because we live under quarantine and we live in a time where uh, we've got to stay, a, you know, six feet away from people and we've got to stay a great distance um, away from people. And so uh, some of these things that are in the story are, are going to resonate with us in a more powerful way than perhaps they would have in the past. And so let's consider the text this morning as we look at Luke chapter five, starting in verse 12. Um, we find that Jesus is in one of the cities of Galilee. He's in that surrounding region still. Uh, and we're told um, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, in no way is leprosy um, the same as COVID-19 or coronavirus. Uh, at this time, uh, in, in the understanding of this era, uh, leprosy was pretty much the same as it would be today. There's some modern uh, medicines that can address this sort of thing, but leprosy was a widespread uh, skin disease at this particular time. And um, it was connected not just to um, this medical issue, but surrounding it 
like many other things, even the the fever that was um, attached to Peter Peter's mother-in-law, um, those sicknesses that were uh, more intense had um, a stigma that was attached to them. Superstition of, of fear uh, and and maybe even judgment were connected to these things uh, in the ancient world. And so uh, this man, he has leprosy. As we said, it's a it's a skin condition uh, that happens, and it brings um, damage to uh, the skin, to uh, the nerves, um, and, and it moves throughout the body. It will affect the eyes, and um, in looking into it, what what it actually does is it starts with uh, the places of. Uh, circulation that have the least amount of circulation. So it starts at the extremities, usually, um, you know, fingertips, toes, uh, you know, your nose, your ears, the places that are, um, that get the least amount of blood flow are first affected. Um, and, and this develops over a period of years. It's, it takes a little bit of time for it to, to ramp up and to, uh, develop into something that eventually, um, will will kill you. Uh, but this here uh, idea of leprosy um, is called out in the Old Testament in several places, and they were given uh, specific directions in how to uh, find it find out if somebody was a leper, if they did in fact have this skin disease, or if there was something else going on that was just a, just a temporary disease. Now, there are a couple reasons for this. Uh, first, uh, the implication of this is, of course, you don't want to have a, an outbreak of this um, because it would lead to uh, the death of many people. Uh, but number two, within uh, the culture of this time, within Israel especially, leprosy was connected and seen um, as a, um, it was seen as like a type of, uh, not of, of sin, not that not having leprosy was a sin, but it was similar in the sense that it operates in the same way that sin does. Uh, it starts off small and over time eventually becomes deadly. And so uh, just like leaven in the scriptures are called out uh, that they should uh, avoid leaven um, and they should cook with unleavened bread. And that becomes over the, the course of Israel's history meant to uh, be connected to sin in, as an example of sin. Uh, so leprosy it, uh, operated in, in, in a very similar way. But as you said, uh, the idea of leprosy was something that would have brought great superstition and fear. Uh, it, they operate on superstition with it. But there was also parameters that were laid out in the scripture. If somebody thought that they had leprosy or there was uh, a um, uh, like a, a, a little... Um, skin condition that you thought you were having, there, there was a test that was laid out for you to check to see if this was the case. And you can read uh, deeply about this um, in Le Leviticus chapter 13 and, uh, and 14. But here's basically the test that would be performed. So on the skin, uh, there would be um, perhaps you would have a uh, like a small, a small scab or like a pimple or like a spot on your, on your skin that had turned white. There was like a white kind of color there that was connected to it. And uh, the priest who would be inspecting this, they would declare that that person uh, would be uh, a leper and they would have to go into quarantine for seven days. So they get kind of put away into quarantine for seven days and after the seven days, um, they would be uh, inspected again and to see if there was a change in that particular spot. If there was um, no change, then uh, the uh, then it would be extended for a little bit longer to see if there was going to be a change after that, if it would fade away and it was just temporary. Um, if it was just a temporary condition, then, then after that period of quarantine, then that person who was temporarily called the leper would be pronounced as cured and be like, they would just go back to normal life. But if this spot remained after a second and uh, third quarantine period, then that person was declared to be unclean. And then they were banished from, uh, from the camp. They were sent out from the camp. This is how uh, it's described in Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45. The leprous person 
who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. He shall, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. And so if you were per someone who uh, had this disease, you were inspected and you were declared to be a leper, you were pronounced as being someone who was unclean. And so you would have to abide by these rules. You would be somebody who was wearing this uh, torn clothes. You were letting your hair hang down. And um, it, it says covering your, your upper lip there. Uh, the idea there is that you're, you're basically wearing, you're wearing a mask. Like you have your, your tunic and you're pulling it up over your, um, over your mouth. Um, and, uh, and then you're yelling out wherever you go, unclean, unclean. You're letting people know, like, I got this thing. You don't want to catch this from me. Stay at a distance. Stay away from me. And, and not only that, um, you're not going to come into contact with people very frequently at all because you're living alone. You're living outside the camp. And so uh, this was a disease that that impacted both from a physical aspect, but it also impacted the individual from a, a, a relational and a social aspect as well. Now, this disease increases over time. It starts off as something that is small, that is shiny, uh, but ends up doing nerve damage and uh, you get a loss of feeling in your body, but it's literally because your body is rotting, like it's, it's falling apart. And because uh, people who were uh, who had this um, condition of leprosy uh, were in the process of moving towards their death. These people were, were when they were declared unclean, it was essentially a death sentence. They were physically going to die. Uh, they were going to be cut off socially. They were going to be cut off relationally. People weren't going to be with them. It robbed them of their health. Um, it took their, their, their jobs, their, their um, recreation, their family, the, uh, the fellowship of, of being with other people around, around that was gone. They became uh, social outcasts and were known um, as the living dead. This is what they were often called. Uh, the historian uh, Josephus, he talks about lepers, um, the banishment of them being uh, no, in no way differing from, from that of a corpse. Like they're exactly the same. And, and this would be true because um, the scriptures lay out the way that these people are interacted with. It's the same thing, the same way. If you interacted with a leper, it's basically the same uh, sort of defilement as touching a dead body. Like the, the, they're, they're uh, very comparable in their description. And so uh, it wasn't just this person was relationally dead, socially dead, that they were uh, physically on their way to death, but uh, they, their uncleanness uh, would, would bring uh, this uncleanness to Israel as a whole, to the group of people. And so they were outside of, uh, of the city. They were put outside of the gates because they didn't want uh, to cause Israel to fall into uh, ritual uncleanness. And so um, this group of people were social outcasts. They were rejected. Uh, even there were even uh, rabbis who who boasted uh, that they would not um, they would not uh, walk into a house that had uh, that a leper had ever passed through it or stand under a tree that a leper was uh, standing under at some point. There was one rabbi who boasted uh, that he would not buy an egg uh, from a uh, from a market on a street that he had seen a leper on. There was another rabbi who boasted that he would always throw rocks at lepers to keep them away. Uh, and so um, this group of people were, were quite hated, were quite despised. They were social outcasts uh, to the extreme. And, and this man uh, here, Luke calls out for us, is not just at the beginning stages of his leprosy. He has it full on. Uh, if you re look back at verse 12 there, he says, there came a man 
full of leprosy. This isn't just a partial, this isn't just beginning. He's not just a little bit uh, gross. Like this guy is absolutely covered. His body is rotting. Like he is, uh, he has an advanced case. Nobody's around him. Like he is at a distance. Now recall that Luke is a physician. He's speaking from authority here. He knows what he's talking about. This isn't something that he's saying lightly. He's not just making this loose observation. He's an expert in this particular field. And so he says, this guy is full of leprosy. And as such, uh, he would not be near anyone. He would be at a great distance. The more advanced, I mean, he would be crying out unclean and be at a distance, but yet he finds himself here uh, interacting with Jesus. He's described as falling on his face and begging him. Right, that's what that's how that's how Luke describes it. There came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. If this man had seen a rabbi, he would have run the other direction because they would have tried to throw rocks at him, they would have uh they, they would have attacked him, they would have done anything to keep him away. But this man finds the confidence, he finds the understanding to approach Jesus with humility, with the lowest attitude, and he comes to him. He recognizes that something's different about this guy, Jesus, that Jesus isn't going to throw rocks at me, even though I'm, I'm dying, even though I'm cut off physically, even though I'm cut off relationally, even though I'm cut off socially, even though I'm rotting and I'm smelly and I have all of these conditions, Jesus will not attack me. This is a, a perfect picture of how Jesus interacts with us, with how Jesus interacts with sinners, with how he's so patient and kind and gentle and loving. That we can bring our brokenness to him, that we can come to him uh, wholeheartedly and say, I am a mess. Please help me. I have nowhere to go. I'm confused. I'm lost. I'm broken. I've got bad ideas. I've done foolish things. I've sinned against you. I've gone my own way. I've made my own idols. You can bring all of those things to him, knowing that he is not going to attack you. That he's not going to come after you, but that he's going to, to pursue you wholeheartedly in love. And, and we can come with that boldness but we come in humility, recognizing that Jesus is our only chance. I mean, this leper, he knew that nobody was going to heal him, that he, he, he was on his way to death. He had no other option. So he's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a risk here. I'm going to just be like, hey, let's see if this Jesus guy, he can help. And so he breaks the law. He's not supposed to come near anybody. He's not supposed to... Um, and do this either by the law or by the customs that were socially acceptable at that time. But he takes a chance and he says, nothing is going to keep me from coming to Jesus. He's, he's not worried about anything else, but there's Jesus. I've got to get to that guy. And it's the man's condition that drives him. I am on my way to death. I've got to make a change. I've got to find a way to, to, um, to find life. I've got to, to do something and I cannot save myself. This leper recognizes he cannot do anything for himself. He can't change his situation. He can't, um, he can't uh, fix himself. And so he, he asks Jesus to cleanse him. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, the wording there is specific because he's looking for a cleansing. He's looking for a cleansing. He's not looking just for a healing. He's looking for a cleansing. To be healed would be uh, for his condition to be reversed. But this man who has leprosy is looking for a cleansing, right? Remember, he wants to go from being unclean to clean, unacceptable in Israel, unacceptable before God, full of sin, full of transgression, full of rottenness to pure. From uncleanness to clean, 
to purity. He's looking to go to uh, acceptable in the eyes of God uh, as a covenant keeper. This is what he wants. He doesn't doesn't want to just not be dying or not have this uh, situation where um, he's got rotting flesh. He's not just looking to fix one thing. He's looking to fix his entire circumstance, his entire situation. He's not trying to use Jesus to be like, hey, I got like this small problem. So maybe if you could solve it, I can get on my way with other things. He's all in. And he comes here and he realizes uh, his opportunity uh, to change his status uh, here lies with Jesus. Now, previous to asking Jesus here, a leper's only opportunity to change his status was to ask for a priest to review his condition. So he could go back to uh, the priest and be like, hey, like, do you want to like maybe take a look and see if like I'm getting better? I think I'm getting better. Maybe you can just review this and, uh, you know, put me in quarantine again and ask for a new judgment over his condition. That was what a priest could offer. Uh, A priest could do that for him. A priest could not change the leper's condition, but he could only review his state and declare what was so. He could only review the state of the leper and declare his condition. But when this leper encounters Jesus, he asks him for something he could not ask of anyone else. He comes to him and he says, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, when he asks this, he's not expressing um, this great doubt uh, as to um, Jesus's ability. He's appealing uh, to Jesus's desire. He, he, he's saying, I trust you. I, I've seen what you can do. And if you want to do this, uh, I'm open to that. While he's asking this, he's simultaneously recognizing that he has no right to be asking this. He's, uh, he's giving himself, um, he's putting himself in the position of humility, but he's also uh, casting himself on, on, the, on the grace of God. I don't deserve to be healed, Jesus. I don't deserve this, but if, if you will, it's up to you. It's Jesus's, it's Jesus's work that is, um, that he's trusting. It's not up to this man to convince Jesus. He knows he's not deserving, but yet he's asking. He's, he's looking for grace. And we find the response of Jesus in verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. So here's what we find. Immediately, Luke brings out for us the instantaneous uh, moment here. This happens in an instant. This man is absolutely healed. As soon as, uh, as soon as the, the change of status happens, it's immediate. There's no like time period where it's like, okay, well, like in, in, you know, in seven days, you're going to get better. And then we're going to check you again. And then in another seven days, we're going to put you into quarantine and we're going to check you again. This is going completely outside of what is prescribed there in uh, Leviticus uh, 14. Now here is why, because Jesus is enacting the healing. He's bringing the cleansing to this man. He's not observing. He is the one bringing it to bear on him. He is doing the work of what what would be done uh, by God. If a man was uh, naturally getting better, we would attribute that to God's work in his life. Uh, But here Jesus says, I am the one who is bringing this cleansing to this man. I am bringing it in my own time, in my own way. Now, how did Jesus do this? Well, he does this by his word and with his touch, right? By his word and with his touch. The first thing that he does is he demonstrates his power over this disease by his will and by his word. He wills it, and then he uses his words. 
He speaks and it is so. He demonstrates his sovereignty over sickness, over disease, over something that was causing this uh, physical condition for this man. Jesus wills it and it is so. It is done. But what's going on then with the portion where he's touching him? Because couldn't Jesus have just said, yeah, I will it, it's so, and the man is also cleansed? Yes, yes, he could have absolutely done that. He could have absolutely brought that into this man's life. And in other instances uh, that we'll see in the Gospels, Jesus does as much. He simply speaks it and it is done. But here, remember, this man was suffering from a physical death, a social death, a relational death. This man had not been around anybody in a long time. It was a long time since he had uh, been there uh, receiving a hug from a relative or picking up a child or holding a baby. It had been a long time since he had participating and holding hands around a table. It had been a long time since he had wrestled with, uh, with uh, you know, some, some younger kids and played around. It had been a while. He has been cut off. He's on his own. And Jesus doesn't just speak this cleansing into power, but he reaches out his hand and touches him. It was something that this man needed to receive just as much as he needed this cleansing. He needed to receive this acceptance from Jesus. Because to touch a leper was absolutely ridiculously dangerous from a medical perspective. It would be, uh, it would be rendering the person who touched the leper as unclean, and it would also have been uh, something that would have been degrading from a social perspective, hence why the rabbis were throwing the rocks at the lepers. Uh, and so uh, when this leper draws near, he's not worried about Jesus. He's not, he's not um, being sent away. But Jesus takes time to meet him in the middle of his uncleanness. He takes time to meet him in the middle of his sickness, in the middle of his disease. He demonstrates his willingness to heal this man by reaching out his hand to touch him. But he, he puts his hand upon him. Did he need to do that? No. But this is what the compassionate Christ does for us. He gives us what we need. He gives us what we need. He could accomplish his means by other ways. He could have just willed it. He could have just said it only, and it would have been accomplished. But he also stretches out his hand, and he rests it upon this man. And in doing so, he brings healing, and he breaks down the barrier of social, physical, spiritual divide. He, instead of uh, this man, uh, upon the touch of Jesus, uh, instead of this man defiling Jesus, it acts as a reverse, um, a reverse effect where the purity of Jesus surges forth into this man. Instead of this man's uh, deadly disease passing into Jesus, Jesus says, that will not overcome me, but I will overcome the sickness. I will overcome the disease. I will overcome death. I will overcome that relational death, that social death, that physical death. I will be the one who will destroy it. And I will put you, leper, back into community. I will take you from one who is unclean to uh, a, a rightfully restored status into cleanliness, to put you back into community. And so in a moment, in an instant, it is so. Jesus is not contaminated by this man. He's not polluted by this man, but rather the leper is cleansed by the holiness, by the purity, by the will of Jesus. And so as we find an instant result, then we find that Jesus is not just the one who brings cleansing, but he's also the one who wants to uh, see that the law is observed correctly. So although he uh, doesn't put this man into quarantine to bring, um, to bring cleansing, 
He is the cause of cleansing and now commands the man to go into quarantine to uh, demonstrate his observance of the law, that he's working within the law, and then also that this can be uh, observed before the priest. Look at verse 14. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. So he told him, don't tell anybody about this. He didn't want to attract this crowd of uh, people who were curious, who wanted to come just to him for healing. He didn't want to start this new uh, revolution where people want to make him king, which, you know, this is a, a theme that continues, continues to pop up uh, throughout the Gospels. He's trying to just kind of keep it on the down low, like, hey, like I did a work in your life. Don't tell anybody. But what I do want you to do is go and show yourself to the priest. So this was a means of verification, of validation. As I said, this is outlined in Leviticus chapter four, 14. Uh, but the function of the priest was to uh, examine, to assess the condition of the leper and determine if he had actually been uh, cleansed. The priest could not heal him, but all he could do was pronounce him cleansed. And so uh, this uh, would have been an opportunity for the man to come and to say, hey, here I am. I want you to assess my condition again. Um, can you please do this? And they would follow the outline there in Leviticus chapter 14, where uh, they would see if these things were so. Now, uh, the only biblical precedent for the healing of a leper was during Elisha's ministry. You can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 5, but it's essentially the situation where there's this guy called Naaman, and he is uh, he has leprosy, and uh, he faces off with like basically his pride, and he is told that if you want to... Um, if you want to cleanse yourself, you got to go down and wash yourself in the river. And uh, he didn't really like to humble himself. He didn't want to listen. Uh, but he, he, this was the only time uh, that we have uh, biblically where there's the healing of a leper that takes place. So needless to say, uh, the priests don't have a lot of experience with this. They've never seen it. This isn't something that happens. The only time that it had happened was this one time, and it happened to a Gentile. So that Gentile did not go to uh, show himself to the priests to inspect him. So zero priests have seen a healed leper, a cleansed leper. This has never happened. It's never They've never experienced it. So they have a prescription for what to do about it in Leviticus 14, but they don't know what to do because they, they, they've, they've never had to deal with it. No one's ever come and said, hey, I'm a cleansed leper. But here we find this man goes, and now he is the very first one. They got to look it up. Like, what does Leviticus 14 say? What are we supposed to do about this? Like, how are we supposed to treat this man? And what this, hap what this does here is it validates uh, Jesus' power, his miracle working, his obedience to the Mosaic law. Not only is he, is he bringing this cleansing, but he's sending this man in obedience to the law. So the priest cannot say, oh, he's operating outside of the law. He is operating exactly as it was intended to operate. And so what he's essentially doing here is he's bringing healing to this man, bringing a cleansing to this leper, but he's also saying, hey, priests, hey, priestly class, look what's happening over here. Like things you've never seen, a leprous cleanse, what's going on? Maybe you guys should start paying attention. He's giving them little clues that they ought to, to be looking outside of the norm. They ought to encounter the first cleansed leper and be like, how did this happen? Who did this? What power is this? Where is this coming from? It's meant to lead them into recognizing who he is. This site is, is unique for them. It, it should have made them realize that the Messiah was here, that he's appeared at last what they've been waiting for. It should have been a testimony to all the priests. Again, we see that they have some hardness of heart and they're rejecting of this. But this is what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to lead them into this particular place. They're only supposed, to, this man, uh, this leper is only supposed to reveal himself uh, to the priests so he can be assessed. But it appears that that is not what happens. Uh, Mark's gospel tells us that he just goes and runs his mouth. Uh, but as, uh, but the result of it uh, is in verse 15. But now even more, the report about him went 
abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. So he, this leper didn't seem like he really listened. He went and publicized the miracle. He's like, this crazy thing happened. News traveled everywhere. All these massive crowds end up showing up. The crowd gathers to hear Jesus's message and they want to be healed. Um, and they're just chasing him down. But we find by contrast, Jesus doesn't just give in to the massive crowds. He's not about just uh, becoming famous. He's not about uh, about getting distracted with everybody who's saying like, I want this and I want this and give the people what they want. No, Jesus is on a mission. He wants to stay faithful to the mission. And so we find that his practice is not to stay with all of the people and give them exactly what they want, but he withdraws, verse 16, to desolate places in praise, right? I love how that's juxtaposed there in verse 15 and 16. He got more popular, even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. So all these people came, but Jesus would leave <laughs> to desolate places and pray. He went to go seek the will of the father. He went to rely on God. What are you doing? Just because there's opportunity doesn't mean that this is where God is going. This isn't what God wants to do. Jesus could have just been like, oh yeah, I heal you all. He could have dealt with each one of them that may or may not have been the right thing to do, but he doesn't just say, just because this is in front of me, just because I, I could doesn't mean I should. He's reliant. He's reliant on seeking the will of the Father. He's determined to obey. The reason that we find a juxtaposition here between the crowds and this leprous man is that the crowds are coming as a result of uh, wanting to use Jesus as a means to an end. Hey, Jesus, we got a problem. Can you fix our problem? Whereas when the leprous man came to Jesus, he had no other place to turn. He had no other hope. He comes broken. And as he comes in that way, he's not sent away. Jesus doesn't throw rocks at him. Jesus doesn't put up a barrier and say, hey, leper, you're unclean. You're broken and I am clean and I'm holy. And I, uh, I've been, I'm trying to do something specific here. So you've got to stay at a distance. You've got to stay away from me. You've got to be far from me. He doesn't put that in place. But rather, Jesus hears this man's cry. He understands the deep need that he has. And he, he, uh, he uh, empathizes with his situation. He understands that this man has been cut off physically, relationally, socially. That he's at a distance. That he can't come near to anybody else because of a circumstance. And so he allows him to come near. He allows him to, uh, to draw near and to receive that tender care, that generosity of spirit, that love. You see, what Jesus is doing is he's saying things are going to be done in a different way. Because Israel, you've been blowing it. You've not been keeping the law. We already tried this way, where you were supposed to follow the law. You were supposed to keep the law, but you've not been keeping the law. You've not been following it. You've been going your own way. You've been trying to rescue yourself. You've been trying to save yourself. He's been trying to send this message now to the priests to be like, hey, look what's happening. He's trying to remind them of the promises that are laid out in the scriptures of the coming of the Messiah. This traces all the way back into Israel's history. The whole reason for, uh, for Jesus citing, um, the whole reason for Jesus citing that this man should go and seek uh, the, the approval of, uh, of the priests in is because of Leviticus chapter 14. Go and show yourself to the priests. 
and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. That command is connected to the the purity and ritual cleanliness uh, laws that are outlined in the law given to Moses by God. He received these laws so that Israel might be marked out as holy. If you recall, back in uh, Exodus chapter 19, as Israel is rescued out of Egypt, they are people who are who have made idols in another nation. They've served false gods. They've longed to to go back to Egypt, and they arrive at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. And the Lord says to Moses, I'm going to come down uh, on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So gather them all together. And I want you to, to get all the people there so I can uh, communicate to them. I can, I can uh, declare to them who I am. I want to begin this relationship with them. They are broken. They are messed up. You've come to deliver them out of that bondage. I want to reveal to them that I'm the one that's done this. But he says, nevertheless, in, in Exodus 19, 12, set limits, put a boundary, put a marker all the way around the mountain saying, don't go up the mountain. Don't touch it. Stay away from me. I am pure. I am clean. And if you come near, I will, uh, your, your, um, your uncleanness encountering holiness, that's not going to go well. When that uncleanness, when that sinfulness encounters holiness, the sinfulness, uh, the uncleanness will die. So if you touch the mountain, you're going to die. And the laws were set up in such a way to where they could understand how to be clean and how to relate to God and how they could be in right relationship with them. So he gives this whole list of ideas uh, and laws of how they can live faithfully. And one of the laws of such is uh, Leviticus 13, Leviticus 14. Here's how you ought to enter, encounter lepers. Here's how you ought to uh, go through the process of uh, demonstrating that you're clean. But when Jesus encounters this leper, it's a different situation here. Because no longer is God on a mountain far away from his people saying, I am clean and you are unclean. Now Jesus has come down and dwelt among his people in the incarnation. He walks among his people. And instead of saying, you stay at a distance, he said, in, in, in I'm coming to you because you could not come to me. I'm going to, to come to you. And so now the invitation of Jesus is to come near and I will touch you. I will touch you. I will bring that cleanness to bear on you. He is the one who reaches out his hand to touch this man. He's the one who goes out of his way to demonstrate that he is willing to draw near, that he is not afraid, that he's not going to be tainted by uh, the uncleanness of this man. But rather, Jesus intends to invade every area, every aspect of this man's life, physically, relationally, socially. He, Jesus is unable to be tainted and he brings his purity to bear on everything that he touches. And so he reaches out, he touches this man and he is instantly made clean. I mean, what a picture of salvation. This is what he does for us. And as such, this man uh, responds. He's like, I've got I've to figure out like, what's going on here. Like, I got to go tell, I got to go show myself to the priest. And then like other people have got to know about this guy. A similar situation happens for us in John chapter 20. This is after the resurrection of Christ. Jesus has gone to the cross. His blood was shed on our behalf. He's raised from the dead. But we find there that there are even his followers who are just like, man, my life is broken. I don't know how, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to relate to anybody. I don't understand how I'm supposed to move on. But what Jesus does there is he encounters his disciples, in particular, one called uh, Thomas, 
right? In, in John chapter 20, verse 27, he tells Thomas, Jesus himself says, hey, Thomas, come here. You put your finger here. You see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. See, this is the work of Christ. This is the work of God for his people. He invites us not to stay at a distance anymore, but instead has come down in Christ and now says, draw near to me. I've made a way for you to be clean. I've done it. Touch the wounds. Put your hands in the holes. Feel them in my side. And as the result of such, Thomas responds in verse 28, and he says, my Lord and my God. He makes this confession that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. You see what Jesus is doing there? He's connecting unbelief to not understanding, to not remembering what Jesus has done. When you need to be reminded about who you are in relation to him, when you need to be reminded about who he is, you remember his wounds. See my hands, see, uh, see my side. He tells him, do not disbelieve, but believe. And when Thomas does this, when he encounters those wounds, when he encounters those scars, he in fact believes and he makes his confession, my Lord and my God. So like the leper, we are invited near. We are invited near to, to, to observe that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. To set our minds upon his wounds. The holes in his hands, the hole in his side. And he, he, he tells us, and he told, he told even Thomas and the rest of, of the disciples there in John 20 and verse 29, have you believed because you've seen me? I mean, because that's like our, our thing. Like we would be like, hey, like I would have a whole lot of a better time if I, if I didn't have to like, like just be like, hey, well, like I could actually see them. Oh yeah, Jesus is right here, right next to me. And I could like put my hands in his wounds. I could put my hand in his side. Yeah, all of us would be like, that would be incredible. That would be like way more faith building. But what Jesus does do is he says, one, Great, Thomas, that was great for you. You made this confession, my Lord and my God. But he also simultaneously, right after that says, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. He says, there are a group of people who will be blessed greater than you will, Thomas, because they have not had the opportunity that you have. They will believe, they will remember the truth of this circumstance, and they will uh, they will enter in from disbelief to belief. They will reflect upon the wounds at the cross. Now, does that mean that we have to just never have that experience that that Thomas had? that the leper had of touching Jesus. No, Jesus reaches into our lives each day and reminds us, reminds us that we are his. As he's interceding on our behalf, as the book of Hebrews tells us, as our great high priest, who both cleanses us and declares us clean. The high priest that the leper encountered could only declare him clean. Jesus is the one who, who cleanses us and he declares us clean. He's the one who makes it possible, and he's the one who maintains that status for us. And the scriptures tell us that we will indeed be the recipient of, uh, of his touch, that we enter in by his touch, by his work. Because as he resurrected, as he was a witness there to Thomas, by showing his hands, by showing his, his wounded side, so his scars remain even until the day that we see him, until the day that we see him face to face. Revelation 5 verse 6 depicts Jesus this way. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. His wounds remain. He stays in the same circumstance, so we can forever be reminded of those wounds 
that were given on our behalf. That we can be reminded, we can believe. That we can be reminded each day that when we were physically cut off, when, that we, when we were relationally cut off, when we were socially cut off, when we were dead, when we were rotting and, and we were this living dead, Jesus reached in and touched us. He reached in and rescued us and said, I will be clean. I mean, what a joy it is to be a part of the family of one who would, who would see us in that place, who would come off of Mount Sinai and not say, stay away from me, but come near to me, draw near to me, and my touch will be upon my life. And so the more that you draw near to him, the more that you are in his presence, the more his purity, his cleanness is invading our life. And it's up to us to be a people who are yielding to him and letting him invade every area, every aspect of our lives. Let him put his perfect and pure touch on every single aspect of our life, because in that we have life. Apart from it, there's just rottenness and death. And so we welcome the life-giving priest, the life-giving savior, and the lamb who was slain. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your generosity, for your kindness, that you've considered us when we were far from you, when we were rebellious like the people who were in bondage in Egypt, when we were fighting against you um, in our own hearts as the people were in the wilderness. Lord, yet you still pursued us. And ultimately, because we were so stubborn, you came and you gave your own life for us so that we might enter into a new and true life with you. And we rejoice in that. We rejoice in your generosity. We rejoice in your love. What an overwhelming thing it is to be loved so intentionally, so purposefully. It just seems so extreme that you would go to those lengths to care for those who, who, who were against you, who were your enemies. And so Lord, we want to be impacted by your love. We want to be impacted by your touch. So Lord, we invite you. We invite you to, to invade every area of our lives, to take over, to straighten us out, to clean us up. We give all to you, for you are our Lord and our Savior. We love you. Amen.